I've had about five days to cool off. I'm not going to rant about VAR. I'm not going to rant about VAR. I'm not going to rant about VAR. I'm not... <clears throat> Look, I'll do my best, but I can't make any promises. We've got a lot to cover on this edition of the Brisbane Football Review, starting right now. Welcome to another edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here on a Wednesday evening. And, well, it's been a while since the Raw played Melbourne Victory at Suncorp Stadium. Guys, how are we? Yeah, good. very good. You seem like you're ready for a rant about VAR, James. Maybe a little bit. We'll see how we go. I, I'll, I'll try not to turn it into a VAR-focused episode. I think the world's uh, about to rant about VAR. It's just been one of those weeks where everything that seems to have gone wrong with VAR has gone wrong with VAR more so in the Premier League as well, but we're not going to get too far into that. Thank you, Jared Gillette, for costing Arsenal two points. Hey, he was involved, was he? Good, good for him. Yeah, exactly. It's good, <laughs> to see it's good for him to be involved in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Now, before we actually get into the Melbourne victory defeat, we do actually uh, want to have a quick mention of Daily Football Show. It is ending in its current iteration, so we want to say a big thanks to Adrian, Joel, and the entire team at Podular Media for helping us get started. Um, this is, of course, still a Podular Media production, but if you are a D- regular DFS listener, make sure you check out their best ofs that they're putting out this week as well. So, funnily enough, my appearances on it didn't make the best of. I can't work out why. Do you want to tell him or will I? I know. <laughs> Either way, yes, we just want to say big thanks and best of luck in uh, the future of Podular Media, and yeah, looking forward to seeing what the future holds for that. Um, we should also mention, uh, again, contact with us at brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Facebook is The Raw Review. Still working on getting that change. Uh, you can uh, listen and give us a rating on iTunes, Wooshka, St- uh, Stitcher, Spotify, and pretty much any good podcast platform, including the Football Nation Radio, where uh, I think we're getting replayed 12 o'clock Brisbane time every Thursday. So, perfect uh, opportunity to listen to us on your lunch break if you don't download the podcast. Either way, I think we might have picked up a few new listeners through there, so welcome aboard, and I'm sorry about most of the anti-victory sentiment we're about to have, but deal with it. Laying laying down the flag early, are we? Oh yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, it was the South East Queensland derby at Suncorp Stadium on Friday night. You stay (laughs) off my side of the street, bagging victory is my neck of the woods, (laughs) alright? You stay in your lane. I thought, my, oh, that's right. Mine's making fun of Perth. That's right. Yeah. Adam, what's yours? Uh, I try. I try to be wear many hats. That's right. You do the rants. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting Friday night at uh, Suncourt Stadium. Victory won thanks to a 19th minute strike from Andrew Naboo. I think I recorded that time correctly. 
You did. There or thereabouts. Uh, no goals for Brisbane. The crowd, 12,859. And before we get into our thoughts on the game, let's hear what the manager, Robbie Fowler, had to say. Well, again, we've... Um, yeah, I mean, second half, we've obviously, I think, dominated the game again. Um, I think we just need to maybe start a game a little bit quicker. You know, we're, we're trying to get everything right in terms of starting a game properly, starting a game well, taking it to the opposition. Uh, you know, look, regardless of what level you play football, you can't afford to you know, give sloppy passes away. You can't afford to be chasing games all the time. We, um, we, we've got a few things to work on. We know that. Um, we know we, we are a new team, but we're a good team. I don't think we deserve to lose the game again tonight. Um, it is what it is, and we'll obviously pick ourselves up, and we'll, um, you know, we'll be better for this. All right, that's what Robbie Fowler had to say in the press conference after the match. Let's start with you, Adam. What was your big overall takeaway from that game? Look, it's um, it's one of those games where look, we're not going to know the, the the sum effect of it. You know, we don't know where whereabouts of you know the raw set at the moment. We don't know because we don't know where victory sits in the grand scheme of things. So, look, I think if you take it in isolation, a 1-0 result given past results is actually probably not a bad result. Performance wasn't uh, wasn't outstanding. There were, there were glimpses of, of good within the bad. But, um, look, it's one of those ones where, okay, it's three points lost here. But, look, you, you don't you don't know how good uh, this victory team is, nor so do we know as of how disappointing this raw team was either. Yeah, okay, it was an improvement on the 4-2 and 5-0 losses at Suncorp last year, but I do think this is a much better team that they put out, Scott. That's a low bar being better on the results of last year against Victory. It was 11-3 on aggregate, I think they said, over the weekend. But Adam's giving the bigger picture. I'm going to focus on this game purely in isolation. I thought that the Victory were by far the better side on Friday night. They came with a very clear plan of how to get through the Brisbane Roar, and it worked absolutely perfectly for them. Yeah, definitely. I think it was... And they're all struggled to really break them down in the second half, despite the massive amount of possession they did have. Definitely. Well, that's one thing that did jump out at me as well from where I was watching the game, which was it looked like Ola Toivonen and essentially just decided, all right, I'm going playmaker for this one. And he was just trying to get uh, in behind the Raw's back line through the, you know, Pacey, Andrew Nabu and Elvis Cam Sober, who, by the way, Elvis Cam Sober, doing it for the short guys. I love that. There's got to be one short guy in the league. But look, you're right. <laughs> Toivonen, not for the first time, caused the Raw absolute havoc with his movement. He he drew the Raw defenders out of position all the time. And what it, the net effect of it was, they had one-on-ones in the wide areas. They had Andrew Nabu one-on-one with Gillespie for the 25 minutes he was on the field. And for victory, that's almost like Christmas, isn't it? If you can get your best player one-on-one with a defender, you have to fancy those odds. And he could have scored in the first five minutes. He did get the goal on the 19th, as you said. And look, he could have had two or three goals before he went off. Injured, unfortunately for him with a hamstring injury, but that was the net effect of the victory strategy, was to get Naboo and Cam Sober one-on-one in transition, and it worked absolutely beautifully for them. They probably could have got more out of it. I saw, I saw on the post-game show, and you know, I'll repeat it now, I said, you know, oh, Toivon, he is just a joy to watch. He looked to me, to me, he's uh, you know, probably the best player in the yeah. league at the moment. Like, and, the, and the fact that he's, he's doing more than just being a goal scrimmager, he he was really the, the, you know, the fulcrum that sort of set up, and that, that's one sort of takeaway is that because he was he was drawing Tom Aldred in, which means that he was able to pass the ball. He you know, had Kem Sober one side, he had Naboo the other while he was on. Um, yeah, and I think I think maybe you know in hindsight as well, Andrew Naboo's coming off through injury it may have you know also sort of saved the blush a little bit because look if he if he was allowed to continue unbaited, um, yeah you're right he may have had you know two three goals. This is becoming a bit of a trend now. So we were all up at AJ Kelly Park in the final Proceedings game where Dean Briggs did something similar for Peninsula Power in that game, scored two goals that way. So this is becoming 
a bit of a problem for Brisbane. They're going to have to work out how to overcome that. When they do lose the ball in possession, how do they make sure they're not wide open in transition? Because it's a big problem at the moment. I think that is one thing that we are seeing. Like, that back three of Neville, Aldred and Gillespie, all, you know, fantastic tacklers from what we've seen, you know, in close quarters. But it is one of those things that they are missing for pace a little bit. And that might be where we see someone like, I don't know, an Aaron Reid and possibly pushing for a starting spot as the season goes on. I think also the issue as well is that we, we, we you know, we, we identify the back three of, you know, Neville, Aldred, Gillespie. Problem is, is where are O'Toole, where is McGing? And protecting, or uh, is there protection in front, in front of of you know the back three, and that that might be the problem which needs that needs to be sort of explored a bit more, is that it it, send, it tends to become the end of those three. And if they're getting picked off on isolated one on one, the better sides are just going to you know just have a field day. So I think it maybe while it looks at the defensively, you say okay maybe the three at the back are fault. You go like, where are the wing backs and where is that defensive midfield you know protect screening them as well. And I, I think yeah at the moment that maybe that's where this connection might be at. Well, talking about that midfield, I think what they've got there, are th- like they've got three very talented players. You've got Jay O'Shea, Stefan Mork, and Aidan O'Neill. And, you know, they're all very, very capable, but none of them really seem to specialise in that sort of screening role. And you kind of wonder, you know, it's where you do miss someone like an Eric Pardaloo who would just screen that defensive group and possibly also help out when one of the centre-backs goes forward. But I actually just wonder, you know, someone like, Jack Hingott, who we have seen have that versatility to play here and there, could he wind up being another option there as well? Well, firstly on Jack, we caught up with him Friday night after the game. He's oh, he, no, he, no, he's ready. He's, <laughs> he's back in full training as he's, as you've seen, but he's just needs games. So he needs, he needs some game time before he gets back into this side. But I think Aidan O'Neill is meant to be the screener in the the midfield. And back to Adam's point about the wing backs, it's interesting because if they if they are back in the defensive line then you've got nobody in the front third to provide widths in wide areas so it's yeah. very difficult they've got to be four them back every time it's a very demanding role that they're being asked to play so it's an interesting one but it does seem like the raw have basically decided you know this is how we're going to play it's that you know three or five at the back three midfielders with uh, Jay O'Shea really trying to orchestrate the attack he did have a couple of pretty decent moments as well he had that one where he th- dribbled past about three or four victory defenders and then you've got two up top now I think they're still trying to work out who is best for what role I and you know it's been four competitive games plus however many they had in preseason where injuries and just general availability might have cost them a little bit but we were talking last week about the possibility of you know will the raw adapt tactically each week or is it a case of this is our best 11 this is how we're playing and this is how it's going to be yeah, well, you we talked about it in the season preview. They've got a lot of different options in the front, and they all bring something very different. And I think Imman and O'Donovan, if there's two that are similar, it's probably those two. In terms of that, they're not overly tall. They're not overly quick. They both like to drop off and receive the ball. And it just didn't quite work from a front. I know that, in particular, Brad Imman was... um was um, When he did get the ball, he was completely isolated. And he just they kept picking him off perfectly. So that became a problem throughout the game as well. Well, that's one thing that I kind of wanted to get into a little bit uh, of a deeper discussion on. Brad Inman, like, question for me is, he's, you know, done well as a second striker during the preseason, but are we sure he's actually an out-and-out striker and not a midfielder being asked to play striker? Because, you know, Robbie Fowler sees him as one of his best 11 players, and he's the best one suited of 
you know, four midfielders that he's selecting to play as that second striker. I, look, I, I agree with you on that. I think it's a case of, at this very moment, I think Robbie Fowler's going, OK, these are my best 11 players. And I will try and make them fit somehow, rather than, you know, serve our horses for courses approach. And I think it, I think the problem with Brad Inman, I think yeah, he's he's shown enough that he can be that, that sort of, you know, maybe not striker, but sort of, sort of sitting behind, you know, Roy Donovan as far as being that, that forward. And it's it rather than allow him to play his natural position. Like we we were led to believe, you know, when he first came to the club, that he would be probably a left winger or you know, sort of a central midfielder. Well, that's but, where he played all his games over in the UK. Yeah, so it, it sort of leads me to believe that while um, Aaron Marty Holloway perhaps is still getting up to speed, uh, maybe there's a bit of uh, distrust at the moment. You know, whether Dylan Wenzel Halls can put an effective ninety minutes together to start as a starting striker. Maybe he. Maybe it's a case of Robbie Fowler at the moment saying, "These are my best eleven players I've got." I'm going to try and make it fit in somehow. If it means that one or two players are playing our position, you know, so be it. No, it's, yeah, it's after two games played, it's fascinating, but I don't know if it can continue to go down that path. Well, personally, I really don't like the square peg into a round hole thing. I've seen that far too many times, you know, overseas and whatnot. But I, I honestly also wonder, you know, we've seen, you know, team sheets, you know, barely worth the paper that they're written on sometimes when it comes to listed formations and whatnot. And you almost wonder, would you be better off with Roy O'Donovan operating as a central striker and have uh, O'Shea and Inman operating as, you know, twin tens? At times it almost looks like that anyway, because Inman does drop off the front line into that sort of a space. But look, I know you're both asking questions about Inman in that role, but it worked really well in preseason, didn't mm. it? He scored it plenty of goals in yeah. that role in preseason, so he's shown he can absolutely do it. Just in the first couple of games, it hasn't quite come off for him yet. Well, I want to talk about uh, Aaron Amati Holloway, but in the press conference, Robbie Fowler was asked about that, so let's hear what he had to say first. He's a big player. He really is. He's a strong player. He's he's, he's probably a player that you know this league hasn't got. You know, he can be a real handful. He's actually good on the floor. Um, you know, he's good in the air. He's he's a, a real tower of strength. Um, I mean, he missed a lot pre-season, so that is that is the, the aim for us. We need to try and get him, you know, up to to match fit as, as quick as possible. Uh, and until he is, you know, we really can't start him because he's 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 going to blow a gasket early doors. So we need to we need to monitor him pretty well and and try and get him right pretty soon. I think. Okay, so that was uh, Robbie Fowler on Aaron Amadi Holloway, Holloway, who we've seen come in in off, come off the bench in two games and actually have a pretty decent impact so far as that sort of battering ram. And that's honestly the best Saraw's attack has looked. It is. It's. It has looked really good. It's been really effective. I mean, there's not a defender out there that so far has been able to combat it. Okay, it's it's two games in about 25 minutes worth of sample size, but so far it looks incredibly effective for the Lord, just getting him on the field and used in that way. My question is, how long is that going to be effective for? Because surely teams will start planning for that now. I'm sure Western Sydney this weekend will have a plan how they're going to combat that, that tactic if and when he does come off the bench. It's going to be... Interesting, because it's been effective so far, creating chances for the Raw, but I'm not sure you can rely on it over a full season. And I think they're still trying to work out where exactly to stand when the nod downs from Holloway come, because I honestly can't remember him getting on the end of the ball, uh, getting on the end of a cross, and basically just heading it in. Like, it's all, always been a knockdown to a supporting player. I, d- I don't recall him losing a ball in the air over the cross of two yeah, games. Yeah, that's, that's a phenomenal that's, effort. Yeah, no, I think... I keep on saying, it's, it's a weapon... Now, it's a great weapon to have. It's just how, how to utilise it and before the element of surprise is gone. Like, I know it surprised the hell out of um, Perth when it when it came on. And, you know, and same as well, Melbourne seemed powerless to stop it almost, other than the fact that the Raw couldn't do anything with it. So, look, as, as his 
you know, I guess his fitness and match fitness gets along, you know, he might start games, you know, is a case of he'll he'll just you know, bash defender for 60 minutes, you know, and, and before, you know, bring the quick men on or whether he's going to continue to use a super sub. It's um, it's unknown at the moment. I think that's one of the great mysteries about, about the attacking formation of the Raw is that how is this going to be deployed and how can it be a benefit? I do think you're right, though, Scott, in the area of diminishing returns, though, because, yeah, okay, it's great, but we we saw, you know, with, well, the poster child for that sort of uh, overall strategy with Stoke, where eventually that did uh, wear out as teams started to work out how to stop that happening. But I still feel like, overall, well, and Adam and I were talking about this before you showed up, actually, it was, it's a really, I think, effective way to do it, where either you've got Holloway just, belting the living snot out of defenders for 60 minutes and then you've got guys like Jaying and Dylan Wenzel-Halls just coming on and then they've got to go, oh God, I've got to chase these guys now or vice versa where they spend the first hour or so chasing Wenzel-Halls and um, Ingham and then it's a case of, oh, you know, here comes the big boy. I'm in a lot of trouble now. That's a very viable tactic. I was really interested to see how the, how the Amadi Holloway experiment works yeah. out for longer than a 15, 20-minute period. Like when, he's, when he does get around to starting a game, I'm going to be so interested to see his impact on the game, how, how he impacts the game. Do the Raw just go with this direct ball immediately or do they try and involve him in some other way? Because they, did, they didn't just punt the ball long to him in the air. They did play it to him a couple of times to his feet and that was equally as effective. So it's, he's got multiple facets to the game. I mean, it's going to be so interesting to see what happens if and when he starts potentially against Western Sydney this week. And we'll also as well, if he, if he continues just to continually win balls in the air, how's, what's it going to take then that you know, defence to start double-teaming? Perhaps just try and nullify. Does that then open up more space yeah. for someone else around? So, look, it is a fascinating experiment. And look, at least it's something to, to uh, I guess, give a bit of hope yeah. as far as saying, you know what, there's that X factor there. And it's just a matter of how well the Raw can execute it. It's going to be interesting as well because the Raw supporters haven't been used to this style of football at all over the first 15 years. We haven't really seen a lot of long ball into a target man type striker in the box because they've never had one. The closest they've had was probably Sergio Van Dyke, And even that was more to his feet as opposed to his and head. And Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. And Ronaldo is one yeah. that springs to mind, yeah. But they haven't really played those high balls into the box like that. So it'll be interesting to see how it, how it pans out. Yeah, look, and quite honestly, you know, I'd, I'd love for them to go back to the Raw Salona days, but frankly... If, if they're winning 1-0 by battering other teams, great. To be frank, it doesn't work anymore. Possession doesn't matter that much anymore. It's what you do with it. Yeah. So having 65% possession as the Raw did in the second half, this is the great example. They had a lot of the ball. They couldn't do anything with it. They had one great chance for O'Donovan, which he absolutely should have scored. Or at least outside, got a target. Absolutely. And outside of that, they had the penalty, which we'll get to probably in a minute. But there was a lot of half chance, a lot of ball in the box, but nothing really came of it. So it's more what you do with it. But I do think that also does come down a little bit to the way that uh, Marco Kurtz set his team up. And to his credit, I think Kurtz got his tactics spot on in that one. But it was just a case of, all right, well, we've got the lead. We can sit back and defend. It was basically the victory uh, 2018 grand final in Newcastle all over again. Yeah, and, that's, that's, no, and we've got to give credit as well. That, you know, and this is, again... The, do we uh, have to? We, well, yeah. Quick, a Brisbane Raw you know, podcast giving credit to Vic, Melbourne Victory. Yeah, it doesn't Brisbane Raw be... Yeah, <laughs> but um, look at the end, at, at the end of the day, yeah, tactically it was you know, it was it was a good effort, and, and but then again we don't know. This is only week three of the season. We don't know you know with the, how the form will stack up from here. So look at the end of the day, you know I, I totally agree with Scott from a isolation point of view. It wasn't the best game for Raw, but then again the big picture is look this might be you know, a finals matchup. Yeah, some fool on the show, this show said last week that he might be in trouble if he loses this game and loses to Western Melbourne. We've got to give him credit. He was 
tactically astute in this game. It was absolutely brilliant from him. It wasn't pretty, but effective. Yep. Um, I do want to quickly, you know, get onto the incident at the end of the game because I do feel like if that went the other way, uh, like we all thought it perhaps should have, it probably would have uh, very drastically changed our opinion on the game as well, where the Raw did have a penalty shout for a possible handball on Lee Broxham, where we've seen that uh, stuff given at least a couple of times in the opening uh, two rounds of the A-League season, and then all of a sudden it wasn't because uh, apparently his arm was in a natural position. Well, it would have been very similar to Perth Glory, wouldn't it? They would have got themselves a point at the death once again, but I'm confused with this VAR. Because I look at that and I cannot for the life of me see how that is a natural position. We've seen those penalties given for the last couple of weeks, the last couple of years in this league, and now all of a sudden the interpretation has changed. I'm completely confused by it. Adam? Yeah, look, and that's um, referee's advisor, Stravradilovsky. He actually, in, you know, to, in, to answer your point about what is the natural position, he said, I quote, when, when he's stretching like that, his arm cannot be possibly by his side. Physics tells you it's not possible in real time. We consider that to be a natural position. He's, he's not making himself unnaturally bigger by stretching for the ball. Yeah. And then it goes on. However, he, if he was staying still and he had his arms there, then he's unnaturally bigger, and then should have that should have been a penalty. So it's look, it's I think that you know the IFAB, the, the governing bodies for the rules. I think they've they've really opened Pandora's box on this whole interpretation about what is a handball. What is a bit like a bit like offside? How how you know now when you start when. Once upon a time, it was you're offside or you weren't. Now you now have to factor in stuff like, you know, was he affecting play? Was it passive? You know, and then I think this is where I think it's going to take some time for the, I guess, football in general across the world to figure out what is now a handball. Because look, any other any other year that that is a handball, and I absolutely agree. But then you've got to consider, you know, what is it? What is a natural position now? And look. Yeah, it's, it all comes down to the referee and his, and his interpretation. Because as as Stravradilovsky said in that in that quote, for going further on, that if if Kurt Ams had given it a penalty, VAR would not have been able to overrule that because you know there's not it wasn't clear and obvious error. So look, it's one of these things where you know what this it's a mess. I'm just confused because mm. that interpretation yep. that you read out from Stravradilovsky that's fine. Yeah. But when did that come in? Because in previous years that's not the way the rules interpret. If you did not have your hands by they your have side. They, they, the IFAB, the yeah, changed that. Yeah, such yeah. Such they did change it on rule. June 1st, I yeah, think. Yeah, and so obviously confusing. the A-League is now starting to catch up, you know, obviously because of the alignment of the seasons. But, yeah, look, but uh, that, 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 that is what it is. And, you know, I, and look, I absolutely agree with you that, you know, it's just, as fans, we're, we're all confused at the moment. Like, what is a handball? You know, what is it? What is natural position? You know, and then, then the VAR pulling on top of that, what is clear and obvious? You know, it is. It is just an absolute minefield at the moment, and the most frustrated. And I think everyone, all the stakeholders in football at the moment, in general, I just think are just frustrated with. You know, we don't know our game anymore. So by the sounds of it, it's basically one of those things where it was a 50-50 call, not clear and obvious. So yep. it's not the position of VAR to intervene. I don't like that, but. Look, it's as good as you're going to get on that, I think. Where As long as they're consistent with that, yeah. then that's okay. But the thing is, we've seen over the years that they haven't been consistent with it, so it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Players, coaching, officials, that's all we want. Consistency. All right, we need to take a break. We'll be back after this. This is the Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here with you on this Wednesday night as we're recording, or whatever time of the week it is that you're listening to us. Hopefully as close to that as possible. Um, 
Well, it's still been a little bit light for NPL and A-League news, so we'll have a quick run around the league from uh, the games that we saw over the weekend. There was Newcastle against Adelaide, 2-1 Adelaide, and boy, you'd have to wonder what's going on with Newcastle's goalkeepers. Yeah, I didn't have to see this game to be brutal, I'll you, James, but yeah. Okay, well, Adam, I did, what about you? I did see the highlights, you're right about the Newcastle goalkeepers, but... Yeah. Adam? Yeah, um, yeah, I missed the game as well, so... It was but, a... um, look, uh, look, Adelaide, the, all, the, all the news at the moment, um, Al Hassan Toure, oh, what a yeah. find... What a yeah. fine he has been. Well, and just on that, by the way, if he does choose to play for Liberia, good for him. Well, does well, he, he can you can choose to play for whichever nation you eligible to play for, and if he chooses to play for Liberia, good for him. I'm it might be Maldives or Fiji. It might be good for Australian football, but if he, that's who he wants to represent, then good for him. Well, look, honestly, I'm just glad that you know the success of Al Hassan Toure is not going to create any sort of unreasonable expectations for other young strikers <laughs> coming through, given how you know fans are on the internet. Mm. Anyway. Um, the Derby Wanderers won Sydney FC nil. The only thing I really want to talk about this is just how hilarious it was with uh, Robbie Slater trying to explain stuff in the post game for that. But do you want what? to explain what he was trying to explain? Because I still don't know. No, all I want to say is Wanderers they look really good so far. Oh look, I think it was just a great occasion, and um, yeah, Robbie Robbie Slater. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, and, but and also as well, it kicked off the whole debate about the whole uh, goal line technology and people thinking, oh, you know, that it's you know it's a couple of bucks and whatnot. Where it is, you know, if you, if you, if anyone's got seven and a half million dollars to be able to implement goal line technology, then have at it. All uh, nine words: whole of the ball over ho- the whole of the line. That's ten words. That's Never more mind. than nine words. That's ten. I mean, look, Robbie Slater didn't do much to help. The, there's a lot of people say that Fox, and in him in particular, are Sydney FC-centric. That stuff after the game didn't help. But I thought the ball actually did cross the line. That's just my view on it. I, I thought, I tend to agree. I looked at the first time, I thought, like, that looks like it crossed the line to me. I tipped a 1-1 draw in that game, so I think it crossed the line as well. Well, just... I also think they should have had a penalty as well. Yes. That was very similar to the Broxham thing in the Raw game. So maybe they have been consistent in fairness to them on that rule. Yeah, exactly. Um, Perth with a rare away trip, having to go all the way to Wellington. Uh, they came away with all three points, though, 2-1. And they did have their jerseys this time. Yeah, look, they, um, Perth looked all right, actually. They um, they controlled the game. Uh, Wellington sort of got a goal, goal back sort of relatively late when it was all said and done. But Perth are comfortable. I think, yeah, they're back on track, I think, after um, that, uh, yeah, after sort of the... Uh, the two draws at the start of the season. Yeah, I thought Wellington would win this game after they played so well against Sydney FC and didn't get a result the week before. But yeah, but you're right. Perth were the better team, weren't they? Castro was again absolutely brilliant, attacking anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then the other Melbourne team derby, City two one, but it came at a big cost with Jamie McLaren out with a hamstring injury. Yeah, that's a, that's a big change. He he is a striker in format. His goal, a game-winning goal, that was you know a great goal score. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, that's a hammer blow, not only for Melbourne City, but I think for obviously Australia and the league in general. Because like I said, strikers and his final form at the moment, they're hard to come by. So it's, it's a damn shame. A-League goals this season, Jamie McLaren four, Melbourne City, or the rest of Melbourne City, none. Yeah. But it's always like that. When he was with the Raw, he scored a large percentage of the goals. It's just the way teams are built around him. And I thought Western United were okay as well. I thought Borussia was really good in this game and look, I, again talk about controversial points I thought that was a penalty as well hmm. the one that was given against Delbridge and I thought he should have been sent off for it it was a yep. clear clear handball foul in the box second yellow card and off you go I thought that was again a great decision there we go alright so that's our quick uh, whip around the A-League and now let's turn to the 
biggest story in Brisbane Raw land. For some reason, the Raw's home benches have swapped. Now, the Raw aren't in the Ross Aloisi Memorial dugout. They've swapped to the right side of the tunnel as they walk out. Yes, do you see what you started here, Adam? Yeah. Well, I, I think I actually started, because I mentioned to you when they walked out, they walked out on the opposite side of the tunnel. Like, what's all this about? And they lined up on that side. And then I think you said, yeah, the Fowlers in the dugout. Doesn't... That was the first time any of us knew yeah. about it, because I don't think anybody even thought to pay attention to it I saw the until the kickoff. right in front of me, because normally my seats are right behind the Raw bench, and I'm like, oh, that's different this year. Now, did that, that affect your, your game experience, having the victory <laughs> dugout in front of you? Rather than the raw dugout? I did get to see Corey Brown losing his mind, which was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, look, it, it, it's a bench. I, all I want to know is, did they swap the actual raw seats, which I'm assuming are much more comfortable, because they deserve to have more comfortable seats as the home side? It's an interesting one, because I mean, I don't. I think it's more that nobody saw it coming, that the raw would be on that side of the field in the Who dugout. What about that in preseason? Exactly, but that's the thing. No one saw it coming and people are averse to change. You know that. Anytime mm. something changes, there's always a percentage of people who don't like it. So I think it was more of a, more, oh, the, it's, it's more when, the shock factor of it happening as opposed to the actual fact when they start using words like tradition, culture, to swapping the bench. Oh, come on. Uh, uh, why are fans so averse to change when they're likening uh, Fowler to Aloisi after 45 minutes of the season oh. and then demanding that he be sacked? Oh. Going not, all Arsenal fan I'm TV. not sure, but that's just the way it is, right? When it happened, everyone was averse to it. No one thought about it until it happened. I think they they finally did come out today what the actual reason for it was, but well, actually, anyway. Well, let's hear first from the horse's mouth. This is what... Uh, mouths? Mouth, yeah. That's what, uh, Robbie, this is what Robbie Fowler had to say after the game when I believe you asked him, Adam, in the yeah, press conference. Yeah, sucker did that. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so I'm glad, glad you noticed. There is, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> no, no, it's it, it's where we. Um, I really shouldn't be saying. I think, in fact, I won't. You know, there is there is there is a reason behind it. You know, there's a reason by why we do everything. You know, there's a reason why we train. You know, hard before games. There's a reason why. You know, we're, we're sitting where we are in games. Um, you'll probably find out sooner. Good observation, all that. Okay, there we go. That was Robbie Fowler in the press conference after the uh, match. And look, yeah, it's still a bench. It's, it's not the end of the world. That Maybe they get a better breeze on that side or whatever. Oh. But I think Marco Monteverde had the story first in the Korea Mail on Sunday? I think it was an opinion piece on Sunday he wrote where he speculated that it could be because the assistant referees on that side of the halfway line, it gives you a better chance to get into assistant referees here, which might help you get a bit of influence in the game. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not saying it's not yeah. the reason, I'm just... That would make sense why you would want to say it. So we've given his answer in the press conference on Friday night. You, yeah, you, don't, you, you don't wouldn't want to... want to say, yeah, we want this dugout because we can influence the yeah. referee because we're closer to him. You wouldn't want to really say that. So I can understand oh, yeah. why you wouldn't, but... It could even just be something as simple as superstition. I have seen it mentioned a couple of times as well. It could just simply be a case of, at, uh, Anf- and I haven't actually verified whether or not this is true, but at Anfield, where obviously Fowler made his name as a player, the home dugout is on the right, so it's just a case of, he's used to that, so why not run that? Is that so the one th- closest to the exit, is it? That's <laughs> 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 footballing theories. I thought maybe maybe it might be a case of, by swapping, swapping benches, you expose the visiting team substitutes to... To so the crowd, you know, the more hostile crowd, can, can the den is down no, that No, thing? there so are some good people in the crowd at A-Field, I should say. There's some. Yeah, well, there was... There's also... some good people there, allegedly. 
there was also the... Uh, I should stop taking shots at Liverpool fans. I'm going to get in so much trouble for that. Yeah, yeah well. Uh, what was I going to say? There was the um, moment at halftime where Corey Brown was blowing up at the fourth official, like getting really worked up because apparently some of the fans down by the Den end might have been, you know, giving him stick as they uh, want to do for an ex-Raw player. That's want with an O. They've never done that before, have they? No. They've oh, never no. given opposition players stick. No no fan base in the world has ever uh, has ever done that, have they? If Corey Brown is, is insulted by that, he should hand in his mega contract now. He'd go go off thick of skin. I I don't, I don't know the authenticity of that report. Well, that was yeah. from um, Andrew Hudson, one of the raw photographers on Twitter. Or oh, he yeah, takes yeah. I don't know if he's a raw photographer or takes photos at yeah. a raw game. I don't want to get him in trouble with the title. He yeah. doesn't have but yeah, basically he posted on Saturday morning the that basically yeah, Corey Brown was uh, complaining about copping stick from the Raw fans. I did notice that both teams tried to warm up down at the uh, Southern End. So, uh, I missed that. That was so... an interesting little couple of minutes when they were doing that. He had 14 subs, or 13, because Victory had made one. Warming up in a patch of about five metres. It was very interesting. Scissors, paper, rock. I think that's how you solve all of it. Anyway. I wouldn't be surprised if for the next home game, if the dugouts stay the same, but the benches swap over and go, the Raw go back to warming up down the Northern End and the opposition at the Southern End. But it's just... Look, that's up to the match commissioner yeah. to see. Like, I don't, well, obviously, it's not you're not breaking any league rules by doing that because otherwise you'd hope the match commissioner will pull that up straight away. So, look, it's one of these things that you know it got it got a lot of its own. It's, it's it seemed to again, but yeah, it's, it's look, not that. Maybe, maybe it could have just been a case of the structural integrity of the bench on the left might have been a little bit questionable after Ross Aloisi punched it so many it's times last year. Time. There were plenty of conspiracy theories, though. You're right. I mean the the Liverpool one where that that's the side that the cops sit on, so he wanted that one. That got used a fair bit. I think again, it, that's just nonsense. But it's all, it's pretty clear that when that explanation did get suggested by Marco on Sunday, I'm like, yeah, that makes absolute sense to me. Why you do it? I would totally, I, I totally can see and, that being the reason. So that token, it also makes sense why you don't want to admit that because you don't want to be a mean trying to influence officials. Yeah, yeah no coach would ever try and influence officials. Just is a is. Anyway, uh, on to actual news. W League squad, Eloise Keller Knight is back with the Brisbane Roar. Her holiday with Melbourne City is done. And uh, Hayley Rasso is back as well. So that's a couple of really good additions to that squad that, well, let's be honest, like we didn't really see coming. Six Matildas. That's uh, that's that's awesome. Like, uh, I, I didn't see um, Elise Keller Knight returning. Uh, that's 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 a great signing, I think. Uh, also, as well, we we'll, were we'll talking about, you know, last week, you know, about maybe perhaps defensive frailties and, you know, perhaps, you know, relying on one of the younger players to sort of take that on. You know, you've got a very, very experienced head head there in the, in the back line now to join Claire Polkinghorne. So that's a good sign. And, look, it's good to have uh, fan favourite uh, Hayley Rasso back, I think. It's, uh, look, you know, yeah, it's it, it, hard to imagine it being anywhere else. It's be good to have the entire Matilda's midfield, isn't it, between Bart, Gorry and Cal Knight. Yeah, Yallop, yeah. Gorry, and Kel Knight, I beg your pardon. It's great to have the entire raw Matilda's midfield, isn't it? Just saying, just squeeze Van Egmond in there, someone that'd be perfect. But no, <laughs> it's, it's actually a good spread because you've got Polkinghorne at the back, you've got the midfield, and then you've got Razzo up front. And Alira Toby as well, who hasn't, not a Matilda, but she's been in and around the setup at times last and year. And probably so, will be yeah. if she continues. So you've, her got a, you've got a nice mix of players there throughout each line, Lotham and Mackenzie Arnold in goal as well. We will be recording our full W League season preview where we can get into this stuff in a little bit yeah. more detail. I think we're recording that next week before I go away, so... Yes? Yeah. That's what we agreed on. I'm drawing a blank here. Yeah! I turn up when you ask me to. That'll do. Um, yeah, so first preseason game for the W League is against Eastern Suburbs on Saturday afternoon at Samford. I think it's about a 2 o'clock kickoff. 
around then, yeah. So it should be nice and warm by that point as well. Oh, nice part of the world, Sanford. Yeah. Yes. So there's, yeah. I guess he just volunteered to go cover it then. Well, see. Ah, you Derby Day? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a fun Saturday night for me. Anyway, um, Young Socceroos slash Young Matildas matches. The Joeys, they lost 2 1 to Ecuador at the weekend and then drew 2 2 with Hungary earlier today. That's Wednesday. Jordan Courtney Perkins and Isaac Powell both played 90 minutes in both of those games. And their final group game against Nigeria is on Saturday morning. They need at least a draw and results to finish in the best four of third-place teams. Yeah, I'm always a bit confused how these junior junior tournaments knockout phases get worked out. But yeah, I think they have to win the game in all seriousness. I don't think two points would be enough to get them through. It might, yeah. but probably won't in all seriousness. And also, we should mention with New Zealand, Jackson Simkin of Brisbane City and Keegan Yelich of Lions... They've been playing for the junior all-whites in this tournament. I think Simkin started today against Brazil, and Jelicic was a late sub, so good for them as well. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot to lot to look forward to in the local football scene, and I think like Keegan Jelicic, he's someone who I've heard, you know heard quite a big rap on as well. Oh yeah, like they're probably probably one of the um, sort of the biggest prospects in sort of you know in sort of MPL at the moment, and. Um, yeah, look, he, we saw we saw him in action playing the MPL finals for Lions, and you know, he didn't he didn't uh, disgrace disgrace himself as far as you know performance goes in scoring goals or anything. But um, yeah, look, and he, he's only got to learn from you know going away you know for, to a under 17s World Cup. So I think it's a name that you know got to keep an eye on. Certainly, it's good experience for all all four of them, yeah. isn't it? The two boys at the Raw and the two in the National Premier League. It's great experience for them. Yes, definitely. And then the young Matildas, they lost 5-1 to North Korea in their first game of the... Scott, help me out here. Uh, AFC Under-19 Championships, I believe. I believe that's what it is. I could be wrong, but I think that's that's the one. From a raw perspective, India Page Riley started and Holly Palmer was an unused sub. Uh, They're playing Thailand tonight, so Wednesday night. You can check out our socials for at least an update of the full-time score on that. And then they've got Vietnam on Saturday, and then Nigeria next Friday. So that's an important. No, Nigeria's the um, young soccerers. Oh, right. Top yeah. Top I don't think Australia. Nigeria's in the um, Asian Football Confederation, but yeah, I just that's an important Burgundy. game. That's tonight, actually the Thailand game because they're playing the host nation, and, uh, nation uh, and you're going to have to get a result because they're the first up loss to. And Thailand Korea. also they lost to Vietnam as well, so this is uh, basically you lose, you're gone. And, uh, obviously a place in the uh, under-20 Women's World Cup at stake. The top two go through the next phase, don't they? Uh, yes. So a draw here and then beat Vietnam would be enough to get themselves through, but you've got to... Thailand away is not an easy prospect. There we go. Yeah, so apologies for Ron Burgundying that. Uh, that's the Joey's that played Happens Nigeria. to all of us. Yep, <laughs> that's it. Um, also, a uh, quick update as well about the Raw. They're implementing futsal into the club's academy. Uh, from Warren Moon, we believe futsal can benefit the development of our academy players to provide them with a more rounded football education as they strive to become A-League players for Brisbane Raw. And look, we've seen uh, futsal work for a guy like Tom Rogic as well. He's got that really good close control. I was about to say, you think about the skill set required to play well in futsal. That's the sort of stuff that Australian football on the in the front third really lacks. So that if you can implement futsal and get your players involved in it, all the better. Uh, okay, now we did have this marked as something that we probably could do a whole segment on if we really wanted to, but I don't think we have to, just purely because, well, let's be honest, it's hypothetical at the moment. Um, the NRL draw came out, and the, their Magic Round, which is three days of games non-stop at Suncorp Stadium, just happens to be on uh, week one of the A-League finals. Now, Wonderful. That, uh, 
that only impacts the rule if they happen to finish third or fourth based on the current final system, which I'm assuming is going to stay the same for this season as well. Um, and yeah, if that's the case, then the rule could be forced to get a little bit creative with their final scheduling. Yeah, look, and um, it's one of those things, again, this is the hypothetical versus the actual booking. I think it wouldn't have mattered if, uh, if FFA had a solid booking, if they say they did. Uh, obviously, the, the NRL Magic Round is a, is a massive boon for you know, not only no, Suncorp Stadium, but the uh, state government who put in a lot of money. And yeah, I would dare say that in in all real terms, um, yeah, if Brisbane Raw finished third or fourth, they may be playing somewhere else. And, uh, yeah, There's look, no maybe. Be... They will be playing somewhere yeah. else because Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's booked out. And I yep. assume even the Thursday is probably reserved for the Magic Round as well. So they're probably not going to be able to play at Suncorp that weekend, which is a terrible shame because their crowds in finals at Suncorp have been absolutely superb. Their lowest attendance is just over 15,000. And that was the Mariners game the year they beat Perth in the grand final. That first... Remember when they they played the first leg at home against Mariners? Yep. Yeah, that's right. That was the stadium availability. Yeah, that was that was the lowest crowd the Raw have ever had in the final. It was about 15,000. So if they do, as has been suggested by many people, just take the final to Redcliffe, well, you're going to be shutting out 50% of that crowd because it's about a 9,000-seat stadium. If you play it on a Friday night, that's a, t- a tough task. People are going to get up there by 6.30, 7 o'clock. And Sunday afternoon, you might get more. But it's you're going to be shutting people out of a major semi-final in what should be your prime content. And it may it's not even a guarantee. I don't think that A-League or FFA or AFPC, whoever it is, makes the decision, would approve a 9,000-seat stadium for a semi-final. They might say, no, that's not big enough. It needs to be in a, in a bigger stadium. Yeah, I so agree. it certainly raises a whole lot of questions about if the Raw do get a top, uh, a first-week final, which is obviously it's a long way to go. But if that does happen, it's obviously it's going to be a problem. And it's not a problem for this year coming up. If that if that weekend is going to be the Magic Round weekend every single year, then going forward, this is a problem the Raw are going to have to combat. If they do get a Week 1 final, where are they going to play it? Well, that's the other thing as well, is... Um... Yeah, like obviously there was the huge outrage um, l- last year about the Raw uh, not getting to host a semi-final, which, let's be honest, they weren't looking likely to yeah. do it at that point yeah. last year as well when this concept was announced. But look, I'd love to get outraged at, you know, FFA or whoever manages stadium bookings, but at the end of the day, like even if they'd p- had a penciled-in booking, like I believe they do for certain grand final venues and whatnot, yeah. I can't blame Suncorp. I can't blame them because if I'm running Suncorp Stadium, I'm not turning away the NRL for a simple case of, well, we might need it. Like, well, that's the thing, probably, if, they, if they did make a soft booking, I believe, don't you then have to be asked, look, do you want the booking or not? Yeah. And maybe they just said, look, we don't necessarily want it. Yeah, exactly. But it just, it, that's probably what happened and how it became available, but it but does also, raise the question, where would the Raw play a semi-final? But also, as well, this is something that you know, we maybe shouldn't look selfishly um, about just from a Raw point of view. This is more of a whole of a league thing because because the NRL said, you know, at the moment, while well, Magic Round is going to be at... Um, Magic Round is going to be at, in, is in, in Brisbane. It seems to be the, the payoff for not being given an NRL grand final while while their stadiums are sort of out of action. But there, there has been talk that it may go to other stadiums. So you know, it may be a case of, you know, what happens if you know, it goes to, say, Amy Park or it goes to HBF or that. that so West. it could be, yeah, or Bank West. You know, what happens then? You know, it's, it's, this may not be just a problem just for yeah. Raw. It is for 2020, it might be yeah. a Raw problem. 
but in 2021, it may be, look, Bank West, I think it's a... It's Don't a the Queensland government have a contract with it for the next three or four years? They, they may, so but... For the short term to medium term, it's a, it's a Brisbane Raw problem, but you're right, if it does start moving around the country, you're right, then it becomes a league problem. Yeah. Exactly, but look, the one thing I will say, the NRL generally has worked pretty well with yeah. uh, A-League. When it's it comes the other to... mob that you worry about. Oh, don't start me on them. <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh, stay out of that. But <laughs> look, that, that is just something that, you know, is hopefully not going to be an issue one way or another. But if it is, look, it's going to have to be, you know, the way it is for the A-League as always. They're going to have to find a way around it. And look, the, the, possible, the possible worst case scenario... It's going to be a, it's going to have to be a Monday final because of the uh, Labor Day public holiday that yes. day. That's interesting though because I don't that would be good for the Raw, but I don't or good for that round, but I don't know if it would work because don't, you don't forget the the um the week two finals are locked in at the same time the week one finals are. So you may be playing Monday in Brisbane hypothetically, then you may have to back up on the Friday. I don't think that would be approved. I yeah. think that would be too short of a turnaround they would consider before two finals. The only way around I can see that, like, again, there's there's always a workaround for it. It just might suck. That's pretty much it. And I would be pushing for Thursday night at Suncorp if, if you can possibly get it, but I don't know about if that exactly. is available because of the magic round. Exactly. And look, I can't blame them for not, you know, firmly booking the, say, that Friday night yeah. because, again, let's take a look at it. Do they really have that much cash that it they can just throw it away on a Friday night booking here and now. Here's an interesting solution for you. Since you mentioned the, the long weekend, could you do a deal with the NRL where you go, they go Saturday, Sunday, and Monday? Would they be interested in that perhaps? I don't know. It's just Probably com- not because they're Friday yeah, night TV. It's a slot, complete but, mm. hypothetical, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. Well, that actually went a lot longer than I expected. <laughs> so let's um, take a quick break, and then we'll talk about the Raw's upcoming clash at Bankwest Stadium against the Wanderers this weekend. This is Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. All right, we're back on the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here. You're listening to us on uh, one of our podcast platforms, whether it's Wooshka, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, leave us a rating or review, or you might be listening to us on uh, Football Nation Radio on footballnationradio.com. And if you are, very pleased that you've uh, just discovered this podcast. And... Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, discussion points, send them to brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. We welcome any and all suggestions because it makes our show prep just that little bit easier when someone else does the work for us. Absolutely. Feel free to send any comments, criticisms of the hosts, anything you like. Anything will do. Or praise, because I think that host has a real future, you know? <laughs> do you want to tell him or will I? Nah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, just remember whose house you're at. That's true. <laughs> anyway, Saturday, 4pm Brisbane time. 4pm <laughs> Brisbane time. A Raw v Wanderers at Bankwest Stadium. I wish I was doing this away trip because I really want to go and see Bankwest Stadium. Uh, Wanderers, top of the table, three wins from three games. Uh, they defeated Sydney in the derby at uh, 1-0 on Saturday night. And Well, you'd have to think that they're going to be ready for this game as well. Perhaps the only real hope for the Raw here, at least in my mind, is the Wanderers possibly having a little bit of a hangover from that game. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? That's what one thing you'd be hoping for for the Raw, that there is a bit of a hangover effect from the big derby win, the first really big derby they've had, actually, in about three years, because the last couple of years, playing at some of the other stadiums hasn't quite produced that atmosphere, and this one certainly did that, so maybe there will be a hangover effect, but 
they have got that momentum, I think, to carry them through this game. Yeah, look, um, it's it's going to be going to be a difficult one for Raw. Like, I guess if one thing, it's not going to be the hostile atmosphere as it was, you know, last Saturday night. Obviously, they're not going to get you know twenty nine thousand at uh, at Bank West, but you know it'll be you know, half that. But it'll be, you know, just as raucous at least down at one end of the field. So, look, um, this is a very, very good Wanderers team. Um, a good good blend of experience and youth, and uh, they're firing on all cylinders at the moment. Yeah, definitely. It's another one of those teams that might not be the prettiest one to watch, but boy, it's effective. It's incredibly effective, isn't it, the way they play? They've got, you're right, they've got a lot of mixed experience and youth, and they've got legs in their side as well. And I think, again, you think of how the victory were able to get to get pressure on the raw in the wide areas with Paige. Think about players like Kwame Yaboa, potentially. Mitch Duke getting in behind. That could be that could be a real danger for the raw. But the other way, I think the Wanderers can be got at. I think their fullbacks, you can get at them if you... If you can get quality in those areas, they are young. Yeah. Rings had a good start to his career, but he's a very young player, and I think you can get at him and a couple of the other players there if you can get some quality in the front third. Of course, it will be a reunion of sorts because Marcus Babel did play with Robbie Fowler at Liverpool. Uh, he was there from 2000 to 2000, and well, three because he spent the 0304 season on loan with Blackburn. But either way, it's a nice uh, little catch up, I suppose, from there. I don't think days. Fowler was there in 2003, was he? I think he left to go to Leeds at some point, didn't he? Possibly. Anyway, it's I'm way just... off topic, but anyway. I know they have, yeah, because it, it's been... It's been they, it was, they were there at the same was, time, It though, was yeah. mentioned that they were together, and they, even uh, in Marcus Babel press conference last yeah. season, so... That's right, he was asked about it. I think his yes. answer was, no, I didn't see Robbie as a coach. He was always a player who was focused on his own playing... his own playing performance as opposed to the coaching team element. So he was surprised that he was going to be a coach, but here we are, they're going up against <laughs> each other for the first time. And they were teammates in that... Liverpool's uh, UEFA Cup yes. uh, winning team so. of 2001. Yep. And yes, if I got those dates wrong, I am just trusting Wikipedia here. Yes. So I was just trying to work out when that the crossover would have happened because I know he left to go to Leeds before they went bankrupt. Yes, so. that's, well, yeah, that was just a quick Google search yeah. while I remembered so I could try and get it uh, close to correct. Alright, let's talk about the Raw though. Aren't we expecting any changes or will it be the same starting 11 this week? Adam? Uh, I think it's, it might be the same again. I don't know of any injuries. We'll know when the uh, squad news comes out tomorrow at lunchtime. But uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm expecting the the same same eleven. Um, yeah, I think I think it's almost like they just got to keep on going with the way they're going at the moment. I don't think they're panicking too much about making changes. So, based on the comments from Stefan Mork earlier this week as well, by the sounds of it, it seems like they're all aware of the fact that this is a work in progress. Of that the team is building as they get further and further into the season, but you would like to see them get off to a little bit of a faster start. Yeah, that was the problem last year, wasn't it? The slow, too many slow starts, getting a lot of goals early on. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit like Adam. I think they will go with the same team here as they did against Melbourne Victory. I think Amadi Holloway might get an extra 10 minutes so instead of coming on in the 75th minute. He might come on after an hour to get him 30 minutes to keep that building up 10 minutes into 15, into then up to 30 that sort of time frame of building up his minutes, but I think it'll be the same 11 again, although I would strongly consider playing Dylan Wenzel-Halls as a threat to run in behind, because the Raw don't have that as much in the front third, so I would strongly consider that, but I don't think they'll do it. Well, I do think if you did opt to play Wenzel-Halls, or possibly Jai Ingham as well... That's another good option as well. He might play on the right to provide that, yeah. That might give someone like Jay O'Shea a little bit more space to operate in, because we have seen him, you know, when he does try and run at players, he seems to have the ability to get by a couple... 
I think that's the beauty of having seven subs as well, so you can, you know, pretty much, you can stick with your normal game plan, but also have, you know, a number of options. You know, when you have five, you're pretty much hemmed into, you know, what you want to do, you know, start the game, you know, barring any injuries, or and then it's it's a pretty, it's pretty, you know, painfully obvious what you're trying to do. With seven, it does give you the option. You can play both, you can both have Dylan Wenzel Halls and Jai Ingham on the bench, but you can also have, you know, a number of defenders they need to defend it out. So, yeah, look, I, I, again, I think you don't really want to be going after, you know, two games in the league. You don't want to be what they're working towards. You don't want to just abandon that area. I don't think it's anywhere near that stage yet. Um, but yeah, look, um, I think the utilisation of the bench and how that works a bit, you know, defending a game or chasing a game, I think that's probably the important thing at the moment. I think that needs to be worked on. I think whatever the plan is with the subs bench, I just want to see them come on a little bit yeah. earlier because this isn't, you know, playing manager mode in FIFA where you're just trying to rack up appearances to keep players happy. These guys should be coming on and given enough time to try and make an impact because... I think they've got a pretty good bench. I think they want, I want to see them use them. They do, and you're right. There's the four games that Fowler was coached in the um, competitive games. He's only made one sub before an hour, and that was I think Aiden O'Neill came on up in Redcliffe. I think it was. So that's the only time. All the others have been quite late on. You're right. It's so you're, you're and it is plenty of good options on that bench, and they all can do different things tactically depending on how you want to change it. And I would like to see him go to that earlier. And as, as I mentioned, I think he will. So I think he'll bring Marty Holloway on earlier than he did in. On Friday night, just again the minutes factor, get him more minutes. So I think he'll come on significantly earlier. If it is kind of what I think it might be, in a case of just getting him worked into like into fitness yep. to possibly start matches, you know, you don't want to see Holloway getting more time because you know I I feel like he was signed as at the very least you know a semi regular starting starting option, not just a. 15-minute battering ram off the bench. Oh, I think he was, yeah. he was signed to be a starter. I think to, to partner um, Roy Donovan up front. and the carbon uh, rod. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, the, the fact is that injury and, you know, sort of fitness, all that hasn't worked out, and then maybe that's where, where sort of it's leading towards. But, um, yeah, look, at the moment, they may have fallen on, you know, a bit of a super sub sort of role from the moment. But, um, yeah, I'd like to see more because I think, you know, I think I agree with you guys that, you know, simply I think there's more to him than just being, you know, a big body with, a, you know, an able to head. I think that, I think he's got more quality than that, but I yeah. want to see that. And when they were all fit in pre-season, it was a Marty Holloway and O'Donovan starting together. Oh, if, if they came off the bench, they both came off the bench at the same time. Mm. They played a lot together, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the original plan, and I'm sure we'll see it at some point at, from the start. Definitely. All right. Now, before we get into just uh, wrapping all of this up, other games uh, in round four, you've got uh, Sydney FC against Newcastle Jets on Friday night. What are you thinking for that, Scott? I think this is not a great time to be Newcastle going to Sydney after a loss in the derby. But Sydney has shown vulnerability. So it could be interesting, but I would have thought this would be a comfortable bounce back for Sydney FC. Yeah, look, I agree. I think... Um and so if you're on the face, but I think yeah, Sydney are going to be white hot, you know, looking to to recover from the derby. Um, look, Newcastle again. I, the the jury's still out on whether they um, where they're at the moment. I think it's uh, they they they've shown signs, but I just think there's just too much reliance on Jimmy Petralis at the moment to run that show. He need I think he needs more. Do help. you reckon they could do what Wellington did with a bit of pace, creativity in the front third to cause Sydney a bit of problem? Because they have shown a bit of vulnerability. That's the only chance I give. Newcastle in this game, but because re- really Sydney off a loss, traditionally yeah. bounced back very strong. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, no, I still think Sydney are going to win th- that game, but uh, they don't look like they're quite there defensively anyway. Um, we'll skip over the raw game and go to Melbourne Victory versus Western United. Victory going off the Southeast Queensland derby and now onto 
Well, another Melbourne derby. Westgate derby, I heard they're calling it. Interesting. Okay. I oh, know. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know what to expect from this. Like, I, uh, losing Naboo is going to be a huge out for them, but if they are able to possibly get Robbie Cruz back, it might... Is that, or is that a possibility? Is it that he I have play? no idea. I'm just speculating. Because yeah. that, would, that would balance it out quite nicely. Without Cruz, Naboo and Hoogland at the back, it's almost bare bones a bit for Victor at the moment, isn't it? I mean, they played so well against the Raw last Friday, but if you take Naboo out of lap from the start, that makes life very difficult for them. I think uh, the return of Bessar Barisha to um, to Marvel Stadium. I think that's going to be uh, sort of a subplot to that. It's. I still think that you know, even without. I think even without Naboo, I think it showed enough. Uh, I think with you know, obviously it'll be the the, the tandem of you know Toivonen and Cam Sober and, and Kenya too. Uh, look, I, I think they've got still got enough in Locker to West West United. I think. Look, they're a good team. I still. Not convinced that they can put it all together at the moment. Like it's, but like they've got they've got some quality players. I think it'll be yeah. going football. We've had a lot of Premier League references today, James. I hope that um, Bessar Brisha, if he does score against Melbourne Victory, copies your good friend Emmanuel Adebayor, <laughs> goes straight down the other end and celebrates. There is a big difference between those two, though. If Brisha does it uh, and runs down and celebrates in front of the Victory fans, it will be a lot funnier. Yeah. <laughs> For you, anyway. Yeah. yeah, at least from my perspective. Uh, then we've got Doubleheader Sunday, City versus Wellington Phoenix. Uh, oh, boy. Good luck with this one. No McLaren. Who's going to score? Who knows? No one. This could be a good opportunity for Wellington, actually. They have shown glimpses in the last couple of games that they can score some goals, or at least create chances, but generally speaking, this could be a bit of a tough watch without Jamie McLaren. Yep, and Perth Mariners. I think this is actually going to be a surprisingly uh, competitive game. I think the Mariners are really going to try and take it to them here. Nah, not really. I think I think oh. Perth. I mean Perth. I think too strong. Um, yeah, look. I think they're 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 clicking along at the moment. Um, and yeah, look, Central Coast. It's hard to know with them. Are they though? Because I think Perth have been a bit underwhelming so far to start this. I'm with you. I think the Mariners have a fair, a decent chance in this coming off the bye. Yeah, I still think Perth will win, but I think it might be you know one of those three-two games where Perth sit there and go, oh, I'm just glad we got out of that one. It's not going to be the easy sort of. Yeah. Runaway win it was in the past, though. I will, yeah, I will say that. Like, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, but I still think Perth will win comfortably. All right, uh, I'll get this out of the way pretty quickly. Um, yes or no? Is it uh, desperation time for Brisbane yet? No, not yet. No, I think it's a little bit early for that. All right, um, and finally, the story of the Raw's game against the Wanderers will be they're still struggling to create clear-cut chances. Um, I think uh, Wanderers uh, have shown that they're the best team in the league at the moment. I think it's going to be one of those honourable losses for the soccer... Uh, not the soccer, sorry, just force of habit there for the Raw, where you know they really try, but in the end, the better team on the day wins. I think it's probably going to finish 2-1 Wanderers, and, well, look, we've still got a lot to... still got a lot to work on. Uh, well, probably as a show as well, but the Raw will have a lot to work on as well. Yeah, look, um, yeah, look, again, I think it's a case of... We've got, we've got to accept that Raw are a work in progress. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not going to... Like I said, it was always going to take more than four rounds for it to cut, to click. Um, I think what we look for is that signs that it is improving, yeah. not regressing. So, yeah, look, I think Wanderers will win barring 3-1. But, um, yeah, look, I think, again, look at the performance of the Raw more than the result. Yeah, you're looking for more cutting edge from the Raw in that front. Though. Some of that possession being translated into clear-cut chances and then in defensive transition being less open. If they can achieve those two things... That's, an, that's a step in the right direction. That's what you're really looking for. And if you're looking for a score, I'll go 1-0 to the Wanderers. I think it'll be a, another really cagey game where the Wanderers just get an odd goal. Definitely. All right, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Adam. 
Yes. James, thanks, Scott. Good to see you again, James. Is it really? Yeah, it is. Okay, good. All right, thanks everyone for listening. It's been a fun show, I'd say, and I think we've actually managed to come in under an hour, which is a good sign. And yeah, we'll be back next Wednesday for a show which I think is going to probably, in all honesty, feature a lot of Scott and a lot of Adam, and not a lot of me after uh, what's going to be a very busy start to the week of my day job, but either way, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully it goes well for you this year. Fingers crossed. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday. Enjoy the weekend of football. We'll talk to you then.